Taking the pulse of the city. The Capital Letter on Newstalk ZB. Newstalk ZB, Wellington Mornings. Capital Letter time. New Zealand Herald, Wellington's issue reporter is Georgina Campbell and she joins me live in the studio. I, I just said when we were off here, I'd like to swap salaries with you. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm not sure that would work out very well for you, Nick. <laughs> I'm sure it would. <laughs> I'm damn sure it would. <laughs> She's being humble. I'm damn sure I'd, I'd say right here, right now, I'd take your salary overnight. Anyway, we're not talking, that we're just talking, we were talking gender yeah. gap salaries before, just so you knew what I was asking you about. You've also revealed recently that one in five, that's 20% for those people that are trying to work that out, one in five inter island ferries were cancelled in the last year, and a third of the services that did go, departed late. Now, this is a government-run department. Call it whatever you want. This is a big organisation, and this is not good enough. Yeah, so this is Kiwi Rail, a state-owned enterprise, and it really has been a horror run for the Inter-Islander in the last year. Trucks have been stranded on either side of the Cook Strait. Um, holiday plans have been left in disarray. You know, I spoke to one Australian couple who were getting ready to see the South Island for the first time. It was their first overseas trip since COVID, and they had to can the whole thing. Now... There are some good reasons, to be fair, to the Inter-Islander and Kiwi Rail for why it has been such a terrible year for them. Um, of course, we've had COVID-19, um, and particularly the outbreak at the beginning of this year, but the big one is the Kaiarahi suffering that totally unexpected catastrophic failure with its gearbox. It took that ferry out for an entire year, so... It, a real juggle to try and get services running. But a lot of um, Kiwis rely on, on the Inter-Islander, don't they? You know, for their holiday, for supply chains, freight. Uh, so It's the link between the North and South Island, the major link. Yeah. You know, the rail link, freight link, every link. It's you essentially know. an extension of the state highway network, network and, right? And remember all the amazing Kiwi um, inter-island ads, and it used to be that scenic, you know, all the tourists, the tourists are all coming back. They want to be part of that, the trip down to South Island on the ferry. The fact that one in five haven't, haven't actually left, and another, what was it, percentage, a third, were arriving or departing late. Yes. I mean, that's just not good enough. And a quarter of arrivals were also late, so that means they didn't um, leave or arrive within 15 minutes of their scheduled time. And it is by far the worst year in the last five years. But I'm happy to report that there is hope on the horizon because as of last weekend, the Kaiarahi was once again sailing on the Cook Strait, starting with freight only but moving into um, passenger services. They'll be back to full capacity by summer and um, Kiwi Rail tells me that they're already getting those overseas bookings. Um, so hopefully things will look okay for people's holidays. And looking further ahead and ahead and ahead, I mean, I've seen the, the visuals of the new ferry that we're getting. For me, as a long-time Wellingtonian that uses the ferry quite a bit, why have we waited so damn long for a, a showpiece ferry, a real cool showpiece ferry? How good would that be? I think there is... A serious question to be asked there is that, you know, the ferries that we have now are getting towards the end of their life and they are breaking down and having all these problems and we've still got to wait a couple more years for the, for the new ones to 
come online. So there's a, haven't there hasn't sort of been a smooth crossover, has there, but between them reaching the end of their life and the new ones coming on. And my plea is for them to do that properly. You know, get a proper service with high standards and good food and good coffee and make it enjoyable. Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, as well as it being so important for freight, it's also almost like a tourist attraction it in is a way, a tourist. isn't it? A hundred percent. That's exactly what it is. What a beautiful way of going between our islands on a big, huge ferry with, you know, yeah. a bit of jazz playing somewhere and a DJ playing in another corner. Have some fun with it. <laughs> Well, as Dream. long as long as the weather isn't um, <laughs> is playing is playing um, right. on your side. Okay, I'm dreaming. Uh, we're starting to see the world of wearable art flags flying around Wellington, so I'm guessing that preparations start. I think it starts on the 29th or 27th of this month, George. And I mean, it's two. It's a separate uh, uh, topic, but I see this morning's paper that have signed it up for another five years. I mean, this is one hell of a showpiece for our city and a hell of a tourist attraction for our city and a hell of a money unit for our city. And I'll let you go and then I'll ask you another question. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I remember the World of Wearable Arts show as a young girl living in Wellington and I got to go once and I was just here or Nelson? away in Wellington. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and Gosh, so has it been here really, that long? It has. It's been here since 2005, so really long time. And, of course, we haven't had it for the past two years because it has been postponed due to COVID-19 restrictions. So I think WOW is really hoping to kind of dust off those cobwebs, really put on an amazing show because we haven't had it for so long. And I was on Cobham Drive yesterday and I saw the little flags being hoisted up and I got a wee buzz, you know. I thought that was really exciting. And it is also really important for our economy me, it's worth nearly $28 million, so quite a big one. And as you say, um, Wellington City Council actually agreed to underwrite WOW at the beginning of last year, and part of that deal was keeping the show exclusive to Wellington for at least uh, five years. My personal, only personal gripe on the whole thing is that we don't know what it costs us. And I think that that is such a major event for our city. We as ratepayers should have some idea of what that costs us to put on, because I think, uh, and it's an educated guess, that it's a hell of a lot more than we think. Yeah, I, that's not something that I've looked no, into. No, it's just something no one, no one's looked into because it's top secret, but it's just something that I'd love to see being exposed, not exposed, being announced at some time so we know what it costs us. You've written this week uh, that Wellington Mayor, or the mayoralty poll, has, it was a rude awakening. Oh, you haven't used the word. I've used the word rude. You've said awakening. Uh, I used you know, the word rude awakening. I, okay. Did you? Did, oh, it's all right. I've just, <laughs> on my notes, I haven't got rude awakening. I think it was a rude awakening for Andy. A rude awakening for me as a Wellingtonian as well. I got a bit of a fright. I didn't think he'd be behind, because everywhere I'm going, people are saying it's Andy Foster or nobody. But so, how did this poll? Yeah, it was a fascinating poll. I mean, it really. I was surprised. It blew me away. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised because I suspected that Andy certainly wouldn't be in the lead, but I didn't expect um, Paul Eagle and Tori Fano to be so neck and neck. You know, the poll essentially described it as a toss-up. But I think for Andy, you know, his strategy on the campaign trail has been to list all the things his council has achieved um, and one of his strengths in the debates is being across the detail. He's always been very good at that and that comes across well. Like People are, are impressed by that but you know, did he really think that people 
um, would sort of forget the chaos of this term and that listing the achievements would, you know, sort of all would be forgiven. So I think the poll is a rude awakening for Andy Foster. And like, let's not forget, he had to commission a review of his own council because, in his words, the public's belief in their ability as an elected group to govern was shaken and eroded. You know, that kind of really says it all for me. Yeah. The scary thing for me, and it's a comment that I'm getting from all walks of life, whether it's young people that are working in the CAF you know, industry or older people, is that nobody can give us facts like him at any of the debates. Now, you hosted the, the biggest debate we've had so far. The lack of information or the lack of the, the other candidates, Tory or Paul, Information is quite quite scary because Tim Brown, who's running for council, he's got all the facts and figures in front of him. He went to to the CFO and got all that information. Why have the other candidates not sort of got themselves well enough equipped with that? Yeah, facts are really important and they're very persuasive, I think, to voters. But what I also think is persuasive is, um, you know, Paul Eagle, for example, he keeps drumming that back-to-basics line. And so I think people will associate the the back-to-basics slogan with Paul Eagle and and that could also um, be a winner as well as having the facts at hand. Yeah. Always a pleasure, George. Thanks for coming in. Uh, Capital Letter is New Zealand Herald Wellington Issues reporter Georgina Campbell.